Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed local provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, security sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. Welcome to Money MD. The money doctors are in the house and giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner and an investment advisor with 19 years' experience in providing financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I have an MBA in finance. I'm also a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider and have over 20 years in helping corporations and individuals. We're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly radio show. We are right here every Saturday like today from 9 to 10 a.m. Yeah, you can also go to our website, moneymd.net. We have a link in the top right-hand corner. You can stream the show. Um, Obviously, it's on the dial at 1230 a.m. if you're tooling around the CSRA this Saturday morning. That's so, right. A lot of That's ways right. you can listen to us. Yeah, you can also can download the TuneIn radio app yeah. and listen to us on your smartphone. Whenever, right? Yeah, and if you download the pro version of that, you can also set up to record. Mm-hmm. And I love that because you can record your favorite shows on there and, uh, you know, go back and listen when you want to. So it's a great way to listen. So whatever you're doing this Saturday morning, we're glad to have you aboard. And uh, we're here with our... Uh, uh, new financial advisor too, uh, Gordon Leopard. Welcome, Gordon. Again, right. thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Glad, Glad you're here. here. Yeah. Well, we have a great show lineup for the day. You know, and we're going to start off. I mean, we're talking about the the. I mean, just a lot of stuff. Um, and <laughs> as always, as always. I mean, we get the five of this and the eight of that, and <laughs> you know, but the five really dumb moves that retirees make um, is what we're starting off with. Yeah, and this I think, is from the Wall Street Journal, and um, you know, some of these really hit home as as we go through these these five. And we've talked about a couple of these before, and there's some there new ones on the list here. But stick around; it's going to be a it's going to be a fun topic. Yeah, there's so many people retiring in the area. You know, it's amazing how the baby boomers, I guess, are becoming of age mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i just see more and more people it seems like that are retiring even people that i thought weren't that old or you know now and they're i mean they're still not that old to me <laughs> they're in the yes, late 50s you're getting older steve i guess that's it you know they're getting <laughs> in the late 50s and and they're like wow you know i mean talking about seriously retiring in just yeah, a year or yeah. two and and uh so you these are some serious mistakes you want to make sure you don't make these so listen up you know get your pencil and pad down and make sure that you're uh, all set for retirement and don't fall into any of those pit holes. And uh, then we have the eight purchases that can save you big. You know, John, I mean, we're all about saving money here on MoneyMD, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, we've talked about this before, different things you can do. But sometimes spending money will actually save you money. Yeah. it's And so, It's yeah. a different concept. I, I, you know, sometimes when Tammy goes out and buys something, she's like, I saved, you know, Fifty dollars. I'm like, well, you had to spend seventy five. You know, so. isn't it almost like that retail clothing store that says we're paying you to shop? <laughs> yeah, right. That's yeah. right. Exactly. I, I get kind of a chuckle out of that. Yeah. No, I mean, this is different, right? Because these are things that actually will save you money down the road. They're not just like, oh, I could have bought it. Mm-hmm. You know, the normal price was was fifty, and I, I paid thirty. Therefore, I saved twenty dollars. It's not that. It's not a discount. <laughs> like you know, sometimes our spouses try to uh, claim. I know. 
Kathy uh, doesn't do that. No, I mean, that's not saving Tammy's money. Tammy's a good shopper. <clears throat> Tammy, if you're listening, you know. Saving money is when you spend $20 on something or $20 a month, and all of a sudden you're saving like $600 a year. Yeah. That's because right. Because you're using that purchase, and that's what we're talking about here. These are some great items. There yeah. we are. And we're gonna we're gonna close up with a, an article about um, where retirees and seniors spend their money in retirement. And you know, Steve, I've sat down a couple times over the last several weeks talking with folks who um, are going into retirement, and they don't know how much income they need. Um, and so, you know, the answer right. is, is you need to go do a, a budget and figure out what you're spending on utilities and food and you know, gas and transportation and so forth. And so this this is going to kind of be a high-level look at where seniors spend their money. But it's a, it's a great list. Yeah, and it really has changed over time, which I think is very interesting to see how it's changed. So we'll talk about that as well. Okay, well, we're going to start off here, though, with the financial fact of the week. Yeah, Steve, I kind of went back in my archives a little bit and uh, pulled out an article from CNN Money. It was um, 2012, uh, December 27th of 2012, exactly. And the title of it is, is Investors Yanked $150 billion from stock, from the stock market for the third year in a row. Um, yep. And so basically what it did, you know, this article goes through and just says that investors have been, were pulling money out, um, you know, in 2010, 2011, 2012. If you remember in that time frame, that's when uh, the debt was downgraded for the United right. States. A lot right. of budget battles. People were really scared. Well, guess what they missed in 2013? A big year. 30% the S&P was Ouch. out, roughly. I mean, you just can't time the market. It you just can't. does not work. Yeah, I love pulling those old stats and looking at it and seeing how it turned out. You know, the predictions people make or, or be, you know, timing moves. In this case, it's just the, it's just the market in general. Just average investor out there made a huge mistake by pulling money out in 2012, mm-hmm. right before the big run-up in 2013. Yeah, and I see, we see the same thing now. People are getting kind of nervous, yeah. thinking, oh, when's All the correction? Right. Yeah, right. Well, you know, we've been five months with, uh, you know, you just know how it is. I mean, yeah. markets go take a break, and then they move up. You just never know. So you got to be careful about trying to predict anything in the future, yeah. particularly with investing. Yeah, the, the better approach that we like, that we think um, makes sense, is do some rebalancing. When the, when you've had some some good gains, pocket some of those, put them into something a little bit more conservative. So there there are ways that you can, you know, take a look at what the market's doing and and uh, try to take advantage of of where you are. So exactly, just don't time. That's a good one. All right, and that leads up to our first topic here, and that is five really dumb moves that retirees make. Um, yeah, these are things we definitely don't want to fall into yeah see this comes from the wall street journal and you know after decades of saving for retirement you never want to end up saying i lost my nest egg (laughs) you know for sure that is not a good that is not a good thing and you know for most people retirement savings will need to to be carefully tended to if it's going to last two or three decades it's kind of the the time frame uh that most lifespans um you know are looking at medical technologies making people live longer Talked about my grandmother on here many times. She's uh, almost 99 years old. So that's amazing. Um, you got to make sure that you do the right things with it. But there are plenty of mistakes uh, that can be made, and some can deplete the nest egg in one fell swoop, while others can result in a, a slow bleed that becomes apparent over time. And so here are some of the the missteps uh, that we see that you should avoid. Number one here on the list, and we see this very frequently, right? Is is big purchases. It's yep. natural instinct for new retirees to want to kick back and treat themselves following decades and decades of hard work. So there's an urge to go and buy something big. Unfortunately, we do see this all the time. And, um, 
You know, this is an advisor, uh, Ronald Myers, uh, who's a financial advisor consultant in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And he talks about clients who he sees uh, that, that start off in retirement and they see some of their money in they see the retirement funds as what he calls YOLO money. <laughs> I like this. <laughs> Which is you only live once money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I like that term because that is so true. I mean, we see the exact same thing. He says, you know, he's the first guy to say go out and enjoy yourself early on in retirement. I mean, you're not getting healthier, right? But at the same time, it's critical, he says, to avoid blowing a big hole in your retirement plan right at the get-go. And given the uncertainty in the markets and, you know, everything out there with expenses, um, the depth of that hole may not become apparent until much later on in life. And, and we do see that. I mean, I see folks that will retire and then turn around and do something just, you know, off the wall. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, go buy a, a huge new car or a new boat or, mm-hmm. you know, just a mountain home or something that they really can't afford. I mean, they're stretching themselves right at the beginning of retirement. And I'm like, you know, why don't you just cool it for a while, yeah. you know, and just settle the small in. stuff, settle in, see how the money goes, see how the market goes. And then you can kind of do the big stuff later on, but when you get a little bit ahead, mm-hmm. but, but don't do it right at the beginning. Yeah. He, he says, he, you know, he points to an example I have a retiree who plans to withdraw $25,000 a year from a $500,000 nest egg, and they start off by taking, you know, a $50,000, you know, one-time lump sum to go buy a boat or, like you said, buy a car. You know, that's two years' worth of income. So if you have $500,000, you are pulling twenty five dollars a year from it, and then you just go you go whack it, right, with a $50,000 withdrawal. Right. You know, should that withdrawal be followed by a market decline? I mean, those result that result could could for many years hurt you. It could shave off and reduce the chances of that money lasting for two or three decades. And the key is planning, right? I mean, as long as you plan for that big purchase and you've set money aside and you've gradually built mm-hmm. it up mm-hmm. for retirement, yeah. then fine. It's, you know, I mean, it, it's built into your budget for retirement, but don't just go and decide on a whim that you're going to go buy a timeshare or go buy a condo somewhere or take the big European trip mm-hmm. when it wasn't built into your plans. Yeah. I mean, you just don't want to sink the boat before you even get out of the harbor. That's right. So number one here on the list, the five really dumb you know moves retirees make is, is just big purchases that are not planned for. I think that's a good point. If you plan right, you can you can spend. It's okay, but it's got to fit into the plan. And number two here on the list, Steve, is is no cushion. I mean, we see you know in retirement a major unexpected expense can quickly send a financial plan off the rails. But you know that doesn't have to happen. Um, this gentleman goes on to say he sees a lot of people cutting it real close and living paycheck to paycheck, even though they're uh, really you know paying themselves out of their own savings. And, um, you know, the problem comes up when an emergency happens, and that requires laying out extra cash on very short notice. So if that outlay requires selling some investments in the middle of a, a market downturn, then that retiree could be locking in those losses and, and can't, you know, recover very easily. So I think we'll cover the rest of these when we uh, come back from, from break here. But a couple more good ones here, so hang on with us. Absolutely. And if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages. Stay with us. Welcome back to 
Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marvin, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred loan provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about the five really dumb moves retirees make. Um, John, I mean, these are things you don't want to let happen. Early on in retirement, yeah, you know, just yeah. just get you behind the eight ball. Yeah, there's a couple items we talked about, Steve. The you know big purchases, as long as they're planned for, um, it's okay to have a big purchase. The issue is, is when you you, know, you start retirement and you go and you you purchase a fifty thousand dollar boat or car, and it, what what that does is if you don't have that set up on a plan and built in, it can deplete your funds, you know, many years before because you're basically taking that up front. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it sinks you, it puts a hole in the boat before you even, you know, get out of the, the slip. I mean, yeah, that's, that's less right. the harbor. I start mean, taking on water. You just start taking on water. You just can't do that right at the beginning. Then if the market gets off to a bad start, yeah. I mean, you're in trouble. Yeah, and the other thing we see, we talked a little bit about, is no cushion. And, you know, it really takes planning ahead a little bit. Um, we recommend three to six months. Uh, you know, sitting in cash in addition to your investment. So that's the emergency fund when the house breaks, when your health, uh, you know, has issues, kids, so forth. You have kind of a cushion between you and your investment, so you don't have to pull out um, maybe in the in the down market. So make sure you have a good emergency fund in place. And number three here is just plain forgetting common sense. I mean, you know, remember there is no such thing as a free lunch, and that's especially the case with investments promising big payoffs with low risk. And we see time and time again, you know, unfortunately there's some unscrupulous people who are, are selling things to people that aren't real. So you gotta, you gotta, you know, make sure you do your homework on some of this stuff. Yeah. Unfortunately people do have a unique ability to kind of suspend, you know, their just common sense. They're, you know, they're, 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 they're obvious, uh, uh, sense of what makes what is true and what's not, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, trader, tr- tr- strangers want us to get in on deals which are just too good to be true, which, of course, they are. And, you know, there's often the, the telltale signs that um, that show that, you know, that, that it's something that you just can't rely on. And, I mean, when that happens, it's time to hang up the phone on the sales pitch, right? I mean, they include things like a sense of urgency. Um, the deal is only uh, good today. Using a church or a fraternal organization to vouch for its credibility or to play on your emotions. I mean, again, you just have to use common sense. You know, don't don't buy into some sales pitch on the phone. Yeah, when someone says that the deal is only good for today, that's the time to run. I don't care what it is. I mean, if it's that good or if that's special, it'll be there tomorrow. So um, just make sure you bounce ideas off. Maybe you have a trusted advisor, trusted friend, lawyer, so forth. Just don't make rash decisions with your money because it can, and we've seen people get hurt in the past uh, associated with that. So number four here is uh, reaching for yield. And, you know, the no free lunch risk to a nest egg also applies to investors who have cut back on holdings of relatively safe, <clears throat> excuse me, but low-yielding government bonds and, and bulked up on riskier investments that uh, may have bigger yields, like high-yielding junk bonds and, and bank loan funds or dividend-paying stocks. And, you know, Steve, when you substitute a fixed-income, low-volatility investment for a higher-volatility investment, the risk of loss of the principal in a down market is so much higher. So, See a lot of people chasing yield. I mean, yields yeah. are very low, and they've been low for a long time. You know, and people get tired of that, and I think they're losing patience, right? So they're searching for other places to get yield, and it's a dangerous game because when you start searching for yield, it means you have to take higher risk. 
and people don't really understand risk of fixed income investments, right? I mean, yeah, they, right. they don't understand liquidity risk. They don't understand interest rate risk. Um, they don't understand credit risk. Those are terms that are just vague to most people. And um, so when they're, you know, when they're, they're put in high yield bonds or something like that, it doesn't mean anything to them. They don't really get what the consequences of that could be. So a good way to test for that is to look back at 2008. Mm -hmm. That was a classic year, particularly the first six months of 2008. I would recommend that somebody look at, um, you know, for instance, uh, uh, month-to-month data for the first six months of 2008 and see how it performed, whatever you're looking at. Mm -hmm. And if it was steady during the first six months of 2008, then it's probably a pretty solid, you know, fixed income bond type investment. But, you know, the average bank loan fund um, lost 20, uh, almost over 29% in 2008. So that's a good year to test it against. Yeah, the bank loan funds are yielding, you know, reasonable north of 4% now, 5% in some cases. But, you know, we've we've looked at it, and, um, you know, when you look at the, the trade-off between the return and the volatility, it, what we see typically is you're not compensated for the amount of risk that you have to take in, in the fixed income market to get more yield, right? We, we've always said if you're going to take risks, do it in equities. Do yeah. it in stocks, yeah. right? Because you don't get paid very well for taking risk in bonds. I mean, you have to take a whole lot of risk to get an extra 1% mm-hmm. in a bond today. Yeah. It's just it's just not a rich environment for getting a higher return. Yeah, that's so not, not a very good trade-off. It's not a very good trade-off. So for us, I mean, I and, and I'm our opinion is you need to use your fixed income investments as the stability, the anchor in your portfolio and go for a higher return in stocks um, with different asset classes still remaining diversified. Mhm. But for fixed income, don't go chasing yield. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Number five here on the list, Steve, is, um, you know, we see uh, emotions rule sometimes. So don't let your emotions rule. You know, acting emotionally in a down market can uh, can be mistake number one when it comes to wrecking a nest egg. And he acknowledged, this gentleman acknowledges that retirees who need their savings, um, you know, to help pay the bills will fill a pool of reacting, you know, pulling money out short term when the markets are not behaving. So during retirement, it's behavioral, behavioral economics on steroids, uh, this gentleman says. Retirees should build a portfolio that meets their long-term goals, one that where they can uh, withstand watching the, the, you know, the downs of the markets occasionally that, that you also have with the ups. So to put it another way, it's, it's dumb to buy high and sell low. And, Steve, I, I've met a couple people in the last several weeks that are in cash and have been since 2008. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's that's a long time to be in cash. And, you know, they got scared in 2008, and the market took a long time to recover. That, and now they, think it, now they think it's high. Now they think it's high, and they don't want to get back in. So, you know, as we showed a minute ago, people pulling money out back in 2012 trying to time the market, that just is not a, a good strategy, the results that we see coming out of that. It's a loser's game. I mean, timing the market is a loser's game. That's all there is to it. You know, it's like the old Cliff Ellis book, you know, how to win the loser's game mm-hmm. in the stock market. I mean, you just you can't try to time it. I mean, if you if you do that, then you're going to... 
find yeah. yourself. You're going to wake up one day, find yourself on the wrong side yeah. of well, the we, market. We see it, the Dalbar study that we reference periodically. Dalbar is a company that studies investor behavior, and they look at uh, market returns over 20-year segments, and they do it every single year. And typically what comes out is the the average investor makes half of what the markets return. And that's because chasing fund performance, trying to time the market. And so if you would just stay invested, do some rebalancing in there, that that historically has been a, a reasonable approach, right? That's the key. It is. All right, good topic. And that leads us up here, though, to our question of the week. Yeah, Steve, we get this question occasionally from clients about um, receiving a large inheritance. And so the question is, is, should I pay off the mortgage or invest? And, yeah. you know, obviously every situation is, is different. Um, I had a client that... Uh, their family sold a business, so each one of the kids got like a million dollars. Nice. Young family in their 40s, a couple kids, and so it was really fun to sit down and plan with them and try to utilize that money um, to part of it to build wealth, part of it to pay off debt, emergency funds, college. So you got to sit down and figure out what your priorities are um, and try to figure out what's going to make the most sense long term. So were you able to talk them out of buying the condo at the beach or yeah. the mountains? Yeah, I very mean. wise. Yeah, he took a uh, uh, they took a big chunk of it and reinvested it in their business, um, some new equipment okay. to try to grow and sure. produce something for the future. And they did pay off the house. Um, um, we've got some money set aside for college. We've got had, has a big emergency fund, and they invested some as well. So we, we kind of split it and broke it up into some different segments. But it, it really depends on the, the individual situation. It does. I mean, for most people, their mortgage is a pretty low interest rate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so paying off your mortgage, you're only going to save yourself, you know, 3% a year um, if you refinance back during the lows right. here a few years ago. So. Uh, you know, if you're willing to take a little bit of risk and invest your money prudently but diversified and having some equities in your portfolio, you could probably beat that over time. Yeah. Right? So, you know, financially, it's going to look better on your financial plan if you invest the money, most likely. Mm-hmm. Another problem is I see people will pay off their mortgage. And then they got an extra $1,500 a month of, of income, right? And they say, oh, I'm going to invest that money. Yeah. No problem. We're going to start a side fund and start investing that money. <laughs> oh, what happens? Yeah, uh, they, not. Yeah, they start you know, spending. They start spending more money. Exactly. So sometimes you take the pressure off with no mortgage. That money just gets frittered away. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just not it's not well used. So I'd probably rather see, for most people, I'd rather see them take the lump sum, invest it, and just keep grinding away with their mortgage on schedule and, uh, you know, pay their mortgage off over 15 years before retirement. Yeah. But at the same time, you have that lump sum growing at market rates of return. Yeah, make sure the the mortgage is paid off going into retirement. That's a huge, exactly. huge deal. Good question, though. All right, and that leads us up to our break here. But if you have questions, you can email us at info at moneymd.net, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. You're listening to Money MD with John and Steve. We'll be right back after these messages and GMM News. Stay with us. Welcome back to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we also have uh, Gordon Leopard here, our new advisor here in the studio with us. Welcome back, Gordon. Thank you guys for having me again. <laughs> Glad to be here. 
Yeah, it's a great day to be talking about money again. Yeah. As Every day is a great day to be talking about money. It is. You know, it's, it's kind of how a... we're talking about it. <laughs> What's that? So it's according to how we're talking. Well, this is true. This That's is true. true. Well, we're we're disseminating wise prescriptions That's for right. better financial health, you know. So that, that's the right way to talk about Absolutely. it, right? All right. Well, yeah, we're going to start off here um, with a new topic, and that is the eight purchases that can save you big. Um, you know, this is an article out of U.S. News and World Report. And, John, I mean, sometimes, you know, spending money can actually save you money. Mm-hmm. And this isn't – we're not talking about just spending money and getting a discount on something. We're talking about buying things that actually will help you to save money down the, down the road and uh, can actually save you money immediately. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're frugal, you, you might frequently find yourself worrying over purchases, asking yourself, um, is this too expensive? But that might not necessarily be the right mindset. I mean, the questions you might should be asking yourself are, what value does this have to me once I buy it? You know, can this save me money? And, in fact, there are many purchases, cheap and expensive items alike, that can uh, save you money in the long run. So we're going to jump right into this. I mean, here are, are a few of these that really can save you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars over time. Um, the first one's a little bit healthy here. That is a bike or a transit pass. Um, well, you know, in our area, we don't have a transit system, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, if you live in a big city, you might. But if you live in an area where you can forgo um, having a vehicle sometimes, you could possibly save thousands of dollars a year. I mean, just think, no more car payments or pricey repairs um, if you went totally to a bike. Um, and that's just the big stuff. I mean, you don't have to pay for, for washes or for parking or for gas. Insurance. Um, Insurance, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, there are so many expenses for a car that it's just hard. To, you know, I mean, depreciation is is huge. Uh, a car can be your biggest purchase, mm-hmm. I mean, your biggest expense from a monthly basis. So people don't realize it. Um, but but you know, if you don't think you can manage without a car for occasional errands, and as most people can't, um, many cities now have something called a zip car or other car sharing programs, which allow members to rent for short periods of time. And low rates. Of course, of course, most people aren't going to go carless. You know, it's just simply not practical. Um, but even biking around the neighborhood can save you big. You know, not to mention the health benefits for those. So for those nice days out there, I mean, get a decent bike and ride it whenever possible. Or maybe get a moped. Right. Well, you a know, lot of money. yeah, I mean, usually those guys on the moped, though, I hear are uh, yeah. folks that have DUIs that, yeah. All right, it's yeah. a motorcycle or something. I mean, there's, yeah. there, there are different ways to get there around. There are lots of ways, lots I, um, of ways. I, I see people driving these gigantic trucks out there, and you know there's a gigantic payment associated with it, and I feel like they're driving their retirement, you know. Not to mention saving. it gets horrible gas mileage. Yeah, that and the insurance, and, um, you know, it's probably eight eight or $900 a month in cost. I mean, just scale down to a used Prius or something that really gets great gas mileage, yeah. you know. And, I mean, that's another yeah. huge savings that's that right. people don't realize. So. Yeah, that's a good one. So number two here on the list is a TV streaming device. And all this talk about canceling your cable is great. Um, if you still don't have a way to watch TV, um, you know, on your TV, thankfully there's some great options for streaming um, that can bring Netflix and, and Hulu to your living room TV. Apple TV, Roku, and Amazing Fire are all options to check out. They're out on the marketplace now, and each requires a one-time initial investment, usually between $50 and $100, and that's according to uh, uh, NPD Group. But cable bills can reach, I've seen them 
150, 200 bucks for people. They say you know 123 is average, but I see a lot of folks with very, very large cable bills. Oh, no doubt, cable has gotten really expensive. Even Directv, which we have, you know, is is uh, you start adding on receivers and mm-hmm. different rooms, and you know, you get the decent package, and you're paying a lot of money for that stuff. Um, so, I mean, yeah, this is something that's kind of near and dear to my heart because my family has really taken to the Roku. And um, we have a Roku and, you know, a Netflix subscription, and we have Amazon Prime. And, you know, they most of my family watch, like, the majority of their shows right off the Internet on that. And it's amazing how cheap it is. It's only mm-hmm. like $8 a month for, for Netflix, something like that. And, um you know, if you have Amazon Prime, you can pretty much get most of your major programming straight off of that. And you can go straight to the websites, too, for major networks and get their programming that way. Now, you live in the city now. You have Comcast direct cable. I mean, you have cable. Yeah, we do. Right? We yeah. do. We have yeah, Atlantic Broadband, I think. Yeah. yeah. But it's yeah. very fast, so yeah. so we can stream all that stuff. Well, some and, of us uh, don't have that yet. So. Well, yeah, yeah. If you're still in the dark ages, John. Slip you know, up the boonies. And- you might want to move closer to the city. You know, just move off of the dirt road back there. They were man. within a mile of our house. And I they know. just... I know. Didn't it's come down. The same story with tried my to, house. Tried to till, pay him 20 recently. bucks and they wouldn't do it. Until yeah. <laughs> recently, yeah, we couldn't get them to come to our house either. So, But eventually they did. So, But, yeah, I mean, there's a huge price there. I mean, with the price of, of, of all of these being, you know, just a fraction of what it is for cable or for direct TV, um, you can save a bundle there. Mm-hmm. Um, you really can. So you need to check that out. And I think that's the wave of the future. And it can save you thousands of dollars. So that was number two on the list. Number three here is an espresso machine or a coffee pot. You know, it's amazing how many people will stop by the local coffee shop and throw down four or five dollars every single day. Yeah. John, I mean, that that adds up to some serious money. Dave Ramsey calls Starbucks. He's renamed it to five bucks. Five bucks. (laughs) Everything costs five dollars. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, so if you're one of those people who won't give up going to the coffee shop because you don't want to switch to the drip coffee at home, you could still save a lot of money by buying your own espresso machine. I've never heard of that, but sure enough, I mean, apparently you can. And, And it's a higher initial investment depending on which features you're looking for. Um, for an espresso machine, it can cost anywhere between 100 and even $1,200. Holy smokes. <laughs> um, but you'll need to buy coffee and milk, of course. And if you buy a $4 latte, 250, 250 times a year, that's 1000 bucks on its own. And you're not even buying coffee every day of the week. So how about just give up the espresso machine altogether, I say, and drink coffee with a little whipped cream in it, maybe. You know, <laughs> I mean, either way, you can save a bundle if you just get serious about not killing it at the coffee shop every day. In general, my philosophy is if there's anything that you buy every single day of the week or every single week besides groceries and gas, then you probably need to look for an alternative for mm-hmm. that. You know, I mean, it's probably a money leech that's slowly bleeding your wallet to death. Yeah, that's a good one. And the next one here, I like this one as well. Anytime we talk about food and money, that's a good combination. But, you know, buy a crock pot. I mean, you know, grabbing a takeout on those nights you're too rushed or exhausted to cook dinner can certainly add up, add up fast, and uh, it costs even more if you're going to get them to deliver it to your house. But if you have a crock pot, all you need to, to do is throw a simple couple of uh, ingredients before you go to work, and you can come home to a fresh hot meal for a fraction of the cost. 
of food from a restaurant. And we, we like using a crock pot around our house. Tammy's, oh, we do too. Tammy's a fantastic cook, and um, you know, she yeah. can just whip some stuff together, and it is just phenomenal. It's very oh, fresh smells, and tasty. It smells up the whole kitchen because yeah. it's been percolating all day. I mean, I, I love that. You know, coming from church, and yesterday Kathy had something in the crock pot, you know, a roast or something cooking, and you came in and just, man, it yeah. just smells good. Dive into it. Yeah, and it's so easy. At least it seemed easy. I mean, she just, like, put it all in there and... <laughs> You know, it's easy for me. You just wave that magic wand. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love to eat, obviously. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, but besides the food savings, I mean, crock pots use a fraction of the energy um, to heat up, you know, compared to your entire oven. Uh, they don't heat up the entire kitchen on hot summer days, so they also save on your AC bill. So there's some, you know, ancillary benefits there that are worth talking about. So um, and next on the list here is a programmable thermostat. I mean, programmable thermostats allow you to automatically change the temperature based on time of day, which means you can use less energy to heat or cool your house when you're sleeping or out at work and not in the house at all. Um, the EPA estimates that using one of those thermostats saves you about $180 per year hmm. per unit. Yeah, that's pretty good. So, yeah, if you have multiple units... Then you can customize each of those habits for that part of your house. I mean, for instance, once I got programmable thermostats in my house, I set the upstairs unit where the, my kids were in high school at the time. Um, I set it so it didn't run at all till like 10 p.m. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, it was it was out of range, you know, till about 10 p.m. because they never were home and upstairs before 10 p.m. And that saved us a ton of money. It really did. Now you can get those smart thermostats like Nest that learn your habits and they adjust over time. Um, and they actually learn you. I mean, they, they keep learning yeah. as you go. Smart computers. They really are. And now, they're, are. Are those produced by the NSA? The NSA? I, they could be. Yeah. They could be Probably tied in. The NSA there? <laughs> yeah, and they probably, they probably uh, you know, that's probably in Eric Snowden's leaks, you know, about how they're looking at your habits of when you're in and out of the house, you know, through the nest. Hey, who knows? But anyway, they are. T- t- you can uh, log on to them from your laptop. You can change it while you're away. I mean, it's pretty cool technology, and I think it is going to change the way we operate our homes for for years to come all right well that leads up to our break here but if you have questions you can email us at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at 706-739-0725 you're listening to money md with john and steve we'll be right back after these messages Welcome back to Money MT, where the money doctors are in the house. I'm Steve Marbert, a certified financial planner, and I'm here with John Travis, who is a Dave Ramsey preferred local provider. And we are continuing our discussion here before the break about eight purchases that can save you big. John, you know, sometimes you have to spend money to save money, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And upgrading appliances to something that's a lot more energy efficient, you know, as an example. Um, but in this case, you know, I mean, sometimes just buying something like we talked about the TV streaming device, I mean, that really is the way to go, I think, in the future mm-hmm. for TV. I think it's all going to stream off the Internet. Um, we do that in our house. At least half the shows we watch are streamed off the Internet. Hmm. For a fraction of the price, price, sometimes free. Yeah, you know, we just have a Roku device and it plugs into our TV, and you know, technology is amazing. Technology is amazing. Once you get that all set up and you figure out how to use it, it's a piece of cake, and you can pause shows, and you know, it's just a lot more convenient than watching things straight off of um, Direct TV um, or the cable. 
and it's a fraction of the price. Mm-hmm. You can save thousands of dollars a year doing that. So, you know, we talked about the, buying a coffee pot or the espresso machine, a, a crock pot or a bicycle. Um, those are all great ways to spend a little bit of money to save a lot of money down the road. And, um, you know, next here on the list is a reusable water bottle. Yeah, so if you're, if you're buying a $6 case of uh, uh, bottled water a week, that adds up to over 300 bucks a year. And, you know, reusable bottles can save you hundreds or maybe even thousands of dollars over the course of the year. It obviously depends on the size of your family and how much water you drink. And that may not sound like a, a lot of savings, but if you get serious about it, then you can, you know, save a bundle by ordering water when you eat out as well. We kind of talked about that. Yeah, and, we have. You know, you can spend a small fortune on, on drinks when you eat out. So if you add it all up, you know, drinking tap water in these various ways, it could be fun in your next vacation. So, you know. Think you got to get serious about it, but it can be huge. It sounds petty, but it can be huge. It really can if it adds up. So if you just do the math there, um, you know, watch where you spend money on drinks. All right, next year on the list is personal finance book. Mm, um, I like this. Yeah, we like this. I mean, because you know, it's all about education and how you look at money, right? But for all the the money that you can save, personal finance books are worth a lot more than the cover price. Um, which book you start with depends on. You know what matters most to you. There's a uh, remit Seth Sethi's. Um, I will teach you to be rich. Of course, there's our favorite Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover, which is a great book and a great program. Um, it's Financial Peace University. Spend a little money and go through the program. That week course, right? That's a fantastic program. Here's Gary Belsky's and uh, uh, this other guy. Um, why smart people make big money mistakes. Um, but there's lots of great money books out there, John, and I think you know just just looking at it and and kind of understanding the psychology behind your money decisions is very very important. And so if you want to go beyond saving money and start making money on the side, um, you know there's also uh, uh, there's there's one they list here. The Economy of You yeah. is a fantastic resource. There's a lot of good books out there. There really is. So learn about money. I think that's one of the keys here to saving money. And then the last one here on the list is hobby equipment. You know, if you're able to turn your hobby into a side job, it has the potential to pay for its cost and then some. But I would say here you need to be careful and you need to be honest with yourself that, you know, it really is something that you can turn into a business. I mean, I've seen a lot of people justify huge expenses in the name of a side business disguised as a hobby, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but having said that, I mean, examples of equipment that you might include would be a, a DSLR camera. If you're good at photography and you're really planning to get into that, um, and, and sell your services, woodworking tools or a sewing machine. I mean, but only make big purchases like this. If you have some experience with the hobby and you're sure you can make money back, from doing that. Um, what's not a good investment is buying an expensive piece of equipment and then discovering that you're not really interested in turning that hobby into a business as you thought. Unfortunately, that's what happens more times than not. So, again, just be careful. So, um, you know, we, we as we've talked about here, I mean, there are lots of ways that you can save money. Um, really adds up quickly. Um, some of these seem small, but, you know, if you... You pay attention just how you think about money and what you buy, what you buy, and how you look at your purchases. You really can save big money down the road um, from buying the right items that'll save you money. Mm-hmm. 
So good article. Good topic. Yep. All right. That leads us up here to our prescription of the week. And this prescription has to do with beneficiaries. And uh, so the you know, prescription is, is if you've had a life change, some type of life event, you need to take a look at your, your beneficiaries. That would include being married, um, remarried, um, you know, divorced, you know, new kids, um, in a lot of different situations, maybe changing jobs, you know, just spend some time on how you have your, your funds, um, you know, who's going to get those when you, when you pass away. It can save you a lot of headaches, you know, down yeah. the road. So That's the key to on. estate planning is making sure that your money goes to who you want it to go to and when. And that's part of just, I mean, that's a key to that is updating your beneficiaries. So yeah. that's a good one. All right, and that leads up to our last topic here, and that is how are seniors spending their money in retirement? Um, this is interesting, John, because it has changed over the years. Yeah, it has. You know, today's seniors, what we see is, um, you know, they're spending more on hobbies and non-essentials, such as entertainment, pets, and hobbies, than they did back in, in the 1990s. Um, and so question is, is are baby boomers financially ready for retirement? A new study finds um, that these retirees are currently carrying more debt into retirement than previous generations, <clears throat> excuse me, and they wonder whether these retirees will be able to make ends meet throughout the rest of their lives. So you're going to share some stats here with us, but, you know, yeah, I think they're um, spending trying to forget some of the <laughs> some of the issues they have in their financial situation. Yeah, you got to be careful how you spend money in retirement. But, yeah, expenditures for today's seniors have generally grown less than 1% per year, so it's pretty pretty small growth. Um, but the allocation of spending on goods and services has changed significantly, according to uh, the recent study by the National Center for Policy Analysis. For example, I mean, the data from the Federal uh, Reserve Survey for Consumer Finances finds that since 1989, the percentage of seven, uh, 65 to 74-year-olds reporting a mortgage or a home equity loan has increased from 21% to nearly 37% in 2010. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a big change here over the past 20 years. For seniors 75 and up, the percentage of mortgage or home equity loan holders has increased just Six percent um, from just six percent to twenty one percent during the same period. I mean, so that's that's terrible. I mean, that, yeah. that simply, you know, that's something that could put your retirement in jeopardy if you have to carry a huge mortgage into retirement. Yeah, that's right. That, that is a surprising stat. You know, this this article came from the the Millionaire Corner. It's a website, and it's pretty interesting. Interest payments in two thousand twelve were about four percent of the overall expenditures. It was up a little bit from 1990, and considering that the mortgage interest rates have been at an all-time low, this expenditure represents a small but but troubling share, um, the article go- goes on to say. And overall, housing expenses, uh, including maintenance and property taxes, are the largest category of expenditures for seniors, uh, comprising about 33% um, for 54 to 74-year-olds and about 37% for those at least 75 years old. So the housing component is, is huge. I mean, it really it takes up more than a third of their income. Yeah, and it's gotten gotten bigger over the years. That's too bad. Um, that's the time when you're supposed to have your house all paid for, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's supposed to, housing's supposed to be very small. Health care costs are, of course, a substantial and primary retirement concern for even the high net worth households, according to a recent uh, Spectrum Millionaire Corner survey. 
this is the fourth category of spending for seniors. It's about 11% of their expenditures. And the second for those ages 75 and up. So it's a huge category for those people spending 14, about 15% of their expenditures. Um, these expenditures include out-of-pocket costs for doctor's visits, treatments, and lab tests, medical equipment, prescriptions, over-the-counter drugs, and supplemental insurance premiums. Total health care expenditures only increased slightly from 14.4% back in 1990 to 14.7%, um, but the allocation of that is really what's changed. Yeah, the other thing here, Steve, as we kind of wrap up this this uh, article, is it talks about that the, and we, we talked about it initially, but um, many of the, the 65 to 74-year-olds are spending more uh, on miscellaneous entertainment, pets, and hobbies. Um, it's one of the fastest-growing expenditures uh, as they compare it back to history. But I think the takeaway to this is, is going into retirement, you have to have a reasonable idea of what your costs are going to be. I mean, a lot of times you know, I sit down with folks, and they're, they don't know what the health care is going to be. You've got to do some estimates. This says 15% is a reasonable number. If you have no debt, that's going to be a huge benefit to you. So try to get the house paid off going that, into retirement. That's it. you got to plan for having your house paid off in retirement. That's my takeaway here. I mean, don't plan to go into retirement with a 30-year mortgage that's going to go out from 10 years into retirement. You know, plan to have your house totally paid off at retirement. Because you're going to need that kind of flexibility for health care and the other things that you just can't predict in yep. retirement. Yep. Okay. Well, that brings us to a close this week's edition of Money MD with John and Steve. Tune in next Saturday from 9 to 10 a.m. to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. And check us out on our website, moneymd.net. And email us your questions. We'd love to hear from you at info at moneymd.net or give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. Have a good one. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended by the host to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Endorsed Local Provider is an endorsement of customer service only and does not reflect quality of investment decisions and is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor, securities sold through Independent Financial Group, LLC, member of FINRA and SIPC. 